everybody, I'm Brian Clapp, VP of Content and Engaged Learning at WorkinSports.com, and this is the Work in Sports Podcast. This month, we are celebrating our best sports industry interviews of 2020. I spend an inordinate amount of time thinking about perspective. We all grow up in different conditions, different families, different stresses, different challenges. And it is this foundational time of our lives, our youth, that gives us our first dose of perspective. Growing up for me in, I guess, what I would consider a lower middle class home in Massachusetts, where it was pretty rural, my parents were divorced, it was a predominantly white neighborhood, those data points give me a totally different experience than some rich kid in Beverly Hills, or some poor kid anywhere in America, or some kid who grew up with abusive parents, or someone who was a victim of crime early in life. We may see the same things through very different lenses because of our foundational perspectives. What we see and experience alters the way we move forward through life. But perspectives are a fluid thing. They change as we go through life and expose ourselves to different people, cultures, and situations. For me, living in a rough area of Atlanta for a few years changed the rural kid in me. I saw different things, and they challenged me to think differently about the world and societies at large. They challenged me to open my mind up to the struggle of others, to understand that not all kids played sports on the weekend and ate orange slices on the sidelines, that some kids struggled to get by, period. Working with different types of people in a corporate culture like CNN exposed me to different faiths, backgrounds, upbringings, educations, and overall different perspectives. I wonder, again, this is where I probably spend an inordinate inordinate amount of time contemplating things like perspective, but I do wonder how much our perspectives alter our career choices or who we are in the workplace. Your perspective and the upbringing you endured steers you. I was asked recently how many people who work in sports played sports in college or high school. Now, I have no data other than the anecdotal story of my life working in sports for the last 20 some odd years, but I would guess around 15% played in college and probably 90% played at least some sports in high school. It is that perspective that gave us love. The competition, the teamwork, the grind, the community, the coachability, you thrive on it all. If I hadn't grown up playing every sport available, I probably wouldn't have worked in this industry. Sports gets into your bloodstream, not just playing it, but being around it. The smell of a gym makes me think back to my youthful perspective. Hearing a certain song on the radio makes me think of a drive to the game or post-championship celebration. It's no wonder today's guest circled back to sports. Tim Duncan was a Division I basketball player at Memphis State, teammates with Penny Hardaway, and a two-time participant in the NCAA tournament. He was one of the elite competitors in the game, making it beyond those of us with only high school memories. Now, for those of you who are confused, yes, there are at least two people in the world named Tim Duncan who played high-level basketball. This is not that Tim Duncan, okay? For our Tim Duncan, after graduating and starting a successful career in marketing, the sports world beckoned, 
And because his perspective was on the court and in the stands and at the arena, the jump back in was natural. Over the last decade plus, he's made a name for himself in college athletics and just last year was named athletic director of the University of New Orleans. It is my honor to have him on the show this week, one of our absolute best interviews of 2020. Here's Tim Duncan. Hey, Timothy, how are you doing today? I'm great. How about you, Brian? I am doing really well, and I'm really super excited to talk to you because we've had various people within college athletics on the show, but you are our first official athletic director, so welcome. Wow, I like having that title. Thank you very much. And please call me Tim. Okay, cool. Well, I wasn't sure, you know, because Tim Duncan, you probably get mistaken a lot, so I wasn't sure if you wanted to differentiate yourself as Timothy instead. No, I'm I'm Tim Duncan because I was I'm the original. So oh, uh, I, like I let the young fella help make my name and my brand grow a little bit, but uh, I still had it first, so I still go by Tim. <laughs> the young fella, I like that. That's yeah. great. <laughs> so you've had many stops in your career in college athletics to get to this point of being an athletic director at University of New Orleans. But before we get into all that, before we get into all of college athletics and, and your journey a little bit, I want to get back to your beginning. You played college ball at Memphis State during the Penny Hardaway era. <laughs> You played in 64 games, so you were a contributor, but at some point you had to know, okay, this is not my future. This is not what's going to be my, my career for the rest of my life playing professional ball. What was that kind of process like for you when you realized that and, and you realized you weren't going to go pro, but you wanted to know, you know, what's my next step? What's my plan? How did you get to that point? Well, it, it started before then, man, because when I grew up, I grew up pretty practical and my dad told me to, 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 he, he gave me this analogy when I was about 10 or 12 years old. He said, Tim, you think about basketball like a horse. He said, you ride it as far as you can. And then when it's time to get off, you get off. And he said, so if that means college, then you get off at college. And he always talked to me about playing college basketball. So that was my goal. I never entertained thoughts of playing professionally ever. Um, so it was pretty easy for me not to get caught up in, in that expectation because that never was a goal of mine. I don't know that I had defined uh, career goals at all, um, but I knew I would graduate within four years and I would see what happened after that. I was a first-generation college graduate, so my parents had taken a few hours of college, and I had other members uh, on my dad's side that have gone to college for a little bit, but no one had graduated yet. So I don't know if they had, they knew that I should get a degree, and that was the goal. Um, So I achieved that, and then... The day after I got my degree, I was like, oh, no, what the hell am I going to do now? (laughs) (laughs) Right. So uh, but I knew that didn't have the delusion of me trying to play professional basketball. So looking back on it now, though, I mean, like I mentioned, you came up in an era with Penny Hardaway and you had a lot of exciting things happening during your college career. Looking back on it now, you deal with student athletes in your current role. But being a student athlete back then, how did that influence who you became in your post-college life? As you look back on it and say, man, being a student athlete really taught me a lot. What were were those sort of things that you kind of learned being a student athlete? I think overcoming adversity, working in small groups with teams, uh, understanding your role. Um, I was, you know, I didn't play uh, uh, every game as you know, I played about half the games in my career. So I was a role player. So I knew um, the value of doing my job to the best of my ability to contribute to the overall success of the team. And I think that helped me uh, just coming up throughout my career, through my careers, actually, uh, to know that, you know, my, my small piece to try to control that to the best of my ability. And hopefully it will contribute to the larger goal of uh, whatever that unit's goal was. 
Yeah, that's one of the things we talk about a lot on this podcast is we have a lot of student athletes in our audience who are, are still trying to figure out their path. And I try to tell them all the time that, yes, as a student athlete, you may not have as much opportunity as others to do internships and those things, but you're learning leadership skills and teamwork skills and all those other things that go into being a good employee. And you need to be able to leverage those things as well. Did you find that that enhanced your ability as a leader being a, in being a student athlete as well? Absolutely. I didn't have as many formal classes to learn about those transferable skills that they have now. Uh, one of the great privileges I did about five or six years ago is I was a moderator for career in sports seminar. It's a panel that you know, the NCAA holds. They invite current student athletes from all over the country to come for a three or four day intense training. And I was one of the moderators to talk to them about those transferable skills that they learn as student athletes and how to utilize that for their career. So I learned that in a less formal way, but uh, they stuck out really, they stuck out in my mind very clearly. And now I'm better able to articulate that having gone through it as personally and, has been, and having been a moderator for the NCAA on that. But you're absolutely right. Those transferable skills of what we learn as student athletes from the time we were kids through college uh, are very valuable when it comes to uh, the workforce. Yeah. One of the things I always think of is just even like the time management, like it's so hard being a right. college student in and of itself. But then when you're training, you're practicing, you're traveling, like just to be able to manage all of that is such a skill that student athletes have and they need to really lean into. But let's transition to back to you a little bit. After Memphis, you, you mentioned a little earlier, you said your careers. And I think that's an interesting point mm -hmm. to lean into. After Memphis State, yeah. you earned your master's in sports administration at Grambling. You spent 11 right. years in the marketing world. So you were not necessarily right. as tied into sports and you had a lot of success there. So you were successful in marketing. Why did you decide to leave all that and get back into college athletics? Well, it kind of morphed organically, man. I was in sports marketing for Russell Athletic. I worked for the Winston brand on Winston Cup with NASCAR with RJ Reynolds Tobacco Company. I morphed into more event marketing there. And then some friends and I uh, started an event marketing company. We did that. We worked for brands like International Paper, Dell. Uh, we did some stuff with the Atlanta Falcons, um, Intel. So we did some pretty cool things. And as a part of that, I went to the University of Memphis and asked them to help support our business, introduced me to some donors. And before I left that meeting, I was offered a job in fundraising. So, um, and I only thought about doing that part-time really. So it let me help out my alma mater and work in it part-time. But, you know, being a former student athlete and someone who loves, you know, this enterprise of college athletics, I quickly started spending way more time at the University of Memphis than I did in the business that we own. So we decided to go full throttle and work uh, at the University of Memphis in development, uh, in fundraising uh, full time. So it just kind of morphed organically. It wasn't a plan. Uh, it just kind of happened when the uh, opportunity presented itself. Every single person I've talked to in college athletics, whether they be senior athletic, uh, senior associate athletic directors or assistant athletic directors or whatever it may be, they all say that background in fundraising is one of the most important skill sets you can learn in college athletics because it's all about bringing in the money and connecting with the donors and et cetera. So that, that first experience for you at University of Memphis doing that must have been a pretty important foundational step for you, I'd imagine. Yeah, it was. And, and, you know, I had an external career anyway, being in marketing. And then for our business, um, I was um, basically the new business development officer. So my job was to talk to the clients about and try to convince them to utilize our services. So I already had some of that skill set. 
but being able to go right in development and fundraising in Memphis, it was it did give me a chance to know the language, know the value and importance of creating relationships, uh, value-based relationships. And um, so, yeah, that was uh, very fortuitous based on my uh, background, but also just speaking to the person at Memphis who, you know, recognized Bill Lansden, who's now, Bill Lansden is a senior associate AD at Virginia Tech. He was the associate AD who hired me in Memphis, and he was a visionary. He could see something in me that I didn't even know was there that he thought it, I would be good in this field. That's a pretty cool honor. So when you yeah, go to Memphis, yeah, exactly. When you go to Memphis and this all happens, starts to happen for you, well, then the journey really begins. University of Memphis, UNC Wilmington, Payne College, Clayton State, Northeastern, and now the athletic director at University of New Orleans. That's that's quite a yeah. that's quite a trip there. Uh, why? Yeah. Why? Why is that? Why in college and everyone I speak to in college? Why is change such an inevitable part of working in college athletics? I think it depends on your lifestyle. So some people, um, what they say, bloom where they're planted. But <laughs> I was at Memphis, and everyone in our office. So Ziggy Siegfried is the AD at Cal State Bakersfield. Mike Oblinger is a senior associate at UConn. Carl Evans is a senior associate at North Texas. Steve Stroud was a senior associate at Troy. I just hired him here. Although, and Bill Lansden was an associate AD who's now at Virginia Tech. All those guys were above me at Memphis. So while there was, it was great working in my alma mater, opportunities for everywhere else in the country was more, were more prevalent than there in Memphis. So um, that's when UNC Wilmington came about because the opportunity for me to go there as associate AD, um, I thought my career could pro- progress a lot faster outside of home than if I would have stayed there. So I think the biggest lesson that I've learned is that there are a ton of opportunities out there. And if your family is aligned, so my wife understood when we took this journey that there may be a lot of movement and she was fine with that. Our kids look at it as a treat to be able to live in different parts of a con- uh, country. So our family was aligned. That's allowed us to just take jobs that allow us to grow in our career and work personally and professionally. And every place that I've been, I've been, I try to remain focused and content on where I am and work as hard as I can and not put a time frame on how long, how long I've been there. Some places have been short, Northeastern, I was there a year, but I didn't go in with any plan that I would only be here X amount of time. Because to me, when you put a time frame on your career, um, if it doesn't happen when that time it uh, ends, you get frustrated, and sometimes your work product suffers. So I wanted to go in with the, just with the, with my head down, with the grinding blue collar attitude, and work as hard as I could. And then I've always been of mind that if I'm doing the things that I'm supposed to do, opportunities will present itself. And so far, that's been the case. I love that. That is a great attitude because I think re- relocation and change is a is a consistent thing in the sports industry, no matter what side you're in. I mean, I was I've been in the sports media my entire career, and I've moved around from network to network, and that's just the reality. I mean, work people change from team to team or university to university, and that's somewhat of a reality. But keeping your mind open to that while also staying present where you are such an important thing to remember. So, right. let's talk Payne College and Clayton State, two pretty small schools. Uh, and then right. as especially as compared to Memphis, Northeastern or University right. of New Orleans, what are the biggest differences and challenges you face when you were at a small school versus a larger program? Well, first, I left Wilmington to go to Payne because I wanted to bet on myself on leadership. I, I figured I could always go back to be an associate AD. So although Payne College was a small, a tiny, in fact, Division two institution, I thought it'd be great for me to try 
leadership for the first time over a unit. So the challenge was there is there weren't a lot of resources. But what I learned coming from external, a lot of us in development, um, marketing, communication, we don't know how the business of a university works. For example, I didn't know who the registrar was or what they did. I didn't know anything about admissions. I didn't know anything about um, financial aid. So I didn't have any knowledge of any of that. So I actually learned that on the job. And those are critical parts of what make the department and the university go. So I learned that at Payne College. So while we didn't have the, the most resources and we were division two, I got a chance to learn about what it takes to be an athletic director. And then Clayton State was a little bit step up. It's a public institution. I got a chance to um, have a little bit more budget. It was a, it was a better conference that uh, a lot of people in the conference competed for NCAA and national championships. So I got to learn. The key thing I learned there was working with the university system of Georgia. They oversee all 29 schools in the state and just working at a higher level, a more visible level in a giant city like Atlanta, but still it was a lot more visible than that visibility that I had in Payne College. So I got a chance to work there and you know some of the challenges were the same. There's still not a ton of resources, but it was more resource than Payne College. So to me, that was an advantage for me at Clayton State because I came from a place that was less resourced to go there, and it made me feel comfortable to you know make improvements while I was there within the framework of the budget. And then as a jump to much larger programs, Northeastern University of New Orleans, what's it like now having more assets and more uh, fundraising, more budget, more opportunity, but also that brings about different challenges, right? Yeah, it does. So at Northeastern, uh, Jeff Kanye is a, a friend that I've known for, you know, over a, you know, a dozen years or so. He hired me in Northeastern as deputy, and that's just understanding, getting back in Division One, and understanding the language. The biggest thing I learned there was the pace. The pace of Division One, particularly in Boston and Northeastern, was right. you know exponentially faster than it was in Division Two. So to get back at that pace and sense of urgency helped me for this job in New Orleans because we have some challenges in front of us here that uh, I, I like to. I want to get things done quickly because I know um, things change in Division One very quickly from you know coaching to recruiting to university statuses to budgets. So we are working at a lot more aggressive pace than they've been used to, but it's still probably not where we need to be. But that's what I've learned. So the challenge is here of ramp up the existing staff um, to work at the pace that I know we need to be. And hiring two deputies and Dina Freeman Patton and Steve Stroud from the outside who are used to that sense of urgency. Uh, as you know, here in New Orleans, it's more of a laid back type of attitude anyway, mm -hmm. but to bring them in to help understand the culture that I'm trying to build uh, has put us light years forward. So you've outlined a lot of your career path and your arc towards where you are now. But in, in, in explaining it, you've also talked about all these other people that you've interacted with and their various titles. And I have to admit, college athletics can get kind of confusing and overwhelming a little <laughs> bit for somebody that's you know maybe aspiring to be where you are someday. You hear right. assistant athletic director, associate athletic director, executive senior associate athletic director. You see people specialize in roles like marketing or external affairs or fundraising. It can be a little bit daunting, a little bit confusing. So what's a realistic path for someone who wants to work in college athletics and maybe dreams of being an AD like you? What do you think is like a logical kind of pathway for them? Well, first, I think people have to select. They have to have a match of what they're good at and then what is uh, um, what they're good at and what they want to do. So people always say that development is a path to the AD chair. But in my opinion, if you're an 
expert in your area and you have great work ethic, you have great people skills, um, and, you're ex and you're a content expert, then you will have a chance for promotion. So whether you enter as compliance or communications or development or marketing, you have to be really good at what you do. And then you have to have the skills that people, um, the, the personal skills that people uh, admire. So you have to show some leadership. You have to have that work ethic. You have to be able to work across teams. You have to do cross-functional things. You have to be unselfish. So those things give you a chance. But everyone in athletics starts in a box. And I think my path, I started at Division One, so I learned development at Division One, and was in development pretty narrowly until I became an AD, and then it became more broad-based. Some people start with a broad base and go narrow, but and I found that if you start narrow, and as you get good in that, you, you get to a place where you start to see other units, you start to oversee your unit, and then, um, which could be an assistant AD, and then associate AD, you usually oversee one or two units, and then there's a senior associate, you may see two, oversee two or three, and then as a deputy, you may oversee the whole kit and caboodle depending on how the AD does that. So it's just growing in that area where you're good and, and you know, acquiring different responsibilities as you move up the chain. And a lot of times that's not currently where you are um, because there may not be the level of advancement that they can promote you to there. They may, they may be going outside, but I think that's okay if, if you're doing everything you can to to make uh, your department successful where you are. So if I'm hearing you correctly, then the idea of possibly specializing in something like marketing or communications or fundraising or development, and then being a real expert in that, and then growing from within that department and possibly branching out from there, refining leadership skills, refining all your other soft skills and et cetera, that's probably a, a smart path, at least the way you see it. Is that, is that what you're kind of explaining? Yeah, I think that's, all, that's almost the only path because yeah. you'll be hired in an area when you're uh, when you're in finished grad school or undergrad and you get your first job in college athletics, you're going to be hired specifically for a task where there's compliance or communication slash more supports information development, marketing, student athlete development, athletic training, wherever. You're going to be hired to do a specific task or job then. So you have to be good in that job before anyone even considers you for other for other responsibilities. So yeah, it's going to be very narrow whenever you enter the business. And that narrow field could be, you know, anywhere from, you know, one to 20 years. It could be right. it's just depending on opportunity, where you are. But if you start at 22 and at 20 years you are deputy, then you've done really well because there are a bunch of people who haven't, you know, who won't be a deputy at, you know, 40 or 42. So um, it's not something that happens very quickly at all. It is a long haul um, and people have to be patient and a lot of it is weeding people out to see. It's not designed to weed people out, but people will not naturally self-select if they want a different lifestyle and not spend 80 hours a week and that gains on nights and weekends and, and that kind of thing. So it, it narrows down uh, all the time, but you have to be good at what you do and you'll start in a specific task that's very narrow. So let's talk about your experience now at University of New Orleans. You took the role in summer of 2019, so congratulations. Uh, Thank you. One thing that really stood out to me in your introductory press conference was your desire to be out in the community of New Orleans. You called it 100 meetings in 100 days, meeting with community and business leaders to learn more about how the university's success affects them. So I, I definitely got this vibe from you that you take representing the city of New Orleans very seriously. What were some of the big things 
things you learned as you got out amongst the people and understood how the athletic department there can influence what happens in that city? Well, first, um, Dr. Nicolo, our president, he wanted an athletics director who was very visible in the city. So that that's my strength and forte, and I think he recognized that pretty early in the process. So that's his vision because he's very outgoing and at you know, everywhere I go, people say great things about him. So he's very externally motivated also. And his vision was to have an athletic director to help um, um, grow that area of the department because he, he recognizes athletics as the front porch. He's a former college student athlete himself. He played football at Bucknell. So okay. he wanted uh, this position to do the same thing. So when I got out there and started meeting people, we put together 100 meetings in 100 days because New Orleans is one of those places that you have to know people. And um, because I was an outsider, I wanted to put together a program that allowed me to get to people. And hopefully by uh, before the end of the pro the 100 days, people will start to call if we did it right and put it on social media and put it on our website. People will start to call and ask, could they be in it? And that happened. Um, so what we learned is that New Orleans athletics wasn't very relevant. Um, people remember the glory days of the 80s and 90s. We haven't reached out. We're north of downtown at the lake. So people consider that's a long way. So we have to work harder um, and do more community service, do more outreach with me, uh, do call more and do more groups to get them on our campus. Because while it's only a 15-minute drive from the French Quarter to here, people who are in that area think it's like forever to get here. Right. So we have to. So we've learned that we have to work a little bit uh, harder. We have to partner with groups, youth groups, uh, and in the corporate community to you know attract more people to our game. So those are some of the quick uh, quick hitters on what we learned during that 100 days. Yeah, that had to be really inspiring to get out there just to be amongst the people and talk to them and understand where they were coming from. And it's almost like they set your strategy for you, right? I mean, they, they almost tell you right. what the game plan is based on their feedback. And that's the, the grassroots touch points that so many people don't seem to invest enough time in. Yeah, you're right. They gave us all the answers to the test. So right. we're about to start our strategic planning process now that we hope to enact by July 1. But we got we did a survey as soon as I got here with all of our employees. So they did a survey and the information that we got in those 100 days will be a long part, a long, that will go a long way in helping aid us build the strategy and our plan for the next five years. Yeah, I'm just so impressed that, that a lot of people, and I know you use a survey, like you said, but a lot of people don't think outside of just doing a survey. Like the fact that you're getting out and talking to people and being face to face to them, I think that makes such a huge difference. But in addition to the 15 minute kind of drive you're talking about, it's got to be challenging to draw attention to your athletic program in a city as large as New Orleans with other pro sports teams and colleges and other entertaining distractions. How hard is it to just say, hey, we're here, we're viable, we're interesting, we're fun, come check us out? Is that a big challenge for you guys? Yeah, it is a big challenge because, first of all, we're deep in the South where football is king. So from from peewee to high school to college to pro football, I mean, we had the Saints that people, they just lost, but people are crazy about the Saints. They're crazy about LSU. They're crazy about Rommel and Brother Martin and St. Augustine High School. So football is king first. Um, and then, you know, the Pelicans are here. They'll get Zion back. So there's a huge population of people. I mean, a huge uh, portion of people's mindset there. And then Tulane has been an entity here before any professional team. So a lot of the people 50 and older uh, grew up going to Tulane football games because that was the only game in town besides the Saints back in the 70s and 80s. So, um, so yeah, it's difficult to kind of reposition ourselves, but we have 48,000 alums here. 
another challenge that we have is that we, we've largely been a commuters campus, so and we haven't had football, so it's tough to uh, a lot of people here may be LSU football fans or they may be, you know, they're definitely Saints fans for sure. So we have to, even within our own alumni base, we have to create um, the type, we have to capture their imagination by, you know, inviting them here, hosting events, uh, doing special promotions, partnering with other organizations on campus to get, you know, those types of folks here. So I've, I've spoken with many athletic directors over my years in the sports media. You're the first one to be a guest on the podcast, but I've just I've known a lot. I've interviewed a, a good amount. And I'll say many of them, to me at least, seem to view the job as highly administrative and like an executive level, which is true. It's definitely fair. They're almost a the CEO of the of the athletic department. But I kind of get the vibe from our conversation and just from reading into your background that you see the role a little bit differently and that you want to connect on a deeper level with the athletes, too. Is that true? And if so, why is that an important part to really get that bond between the department and the athletes themselves? First, I think, yes, it is very executive. So it's high level. It's you're meeting um, here at New Orleans. One thing I like about this position, this university in the city is that you're one call away from anyone. I lived in Atlanta. You lived in Atlanta. It'd be hard to get with the mayor or city council people in a city like that here at New Orleans, you can get to the, I met with the mayor as a part of my 100 meetings. Uh, I would have, it probably would have taken a thousand meetings for me to meet with the mayor um, in, in Atlanta. Just so you can get to people very easily. So there is a level of being an executive. But it goes back, I was a former student athlete and I knew our athletic director in college. Um, we only talked about basketball and what was current. And he didn't have, we didn't, I didn't have a personal relationship with him. So when I started to work in athletics, I knew I wanted to have a deeper relationship with our student athletes to be able to provide them with a perspective they may not have, to be a reference for graduate school or jobs. I think, um, while I don't think myself is powerful or important, but the athletic director's name on a resume for the references I know that will carry some weight. So I tried to get to learn and know our student athletes a little bit about their stories, a little bit about their family. I keep a giant bowl of candy in my office, which <laughs> naturally attracts students. And when they come in, I'll ask them questions. How was class? Uh, I saw your parents at the last game. How were they doing? Tell me about your little sister, your little brother. You know, what's your major? I, I try to pepper them with questions just in a couple minutes while they're here. And then I travel to games with them and try to get to know them better. I go to practices. So um, it's that's our why. Our why is here to develop our student athletes so they can go on and be productive and in whatever they want to do. So I try to stay very focused on that. I have a large picture in my office right now that I'm looking at that has all of our student athletes and our staff. We took a picture at our welcome back meeting when school started. And I keep that close to me so it's just a visual representation of why I'm doing this job. It's important for all the other stuff, meeting with donors, meeting with mayor, Everything that I do is designed to increase revenue or develop programming to support our student athletes so they can be successful. I think that's such a valuable perspective is that it really is about the people. And I also think understanding your why, I know that's something that's thrown around a lot, but having a personal mission statement, but also an organizational mission statement and understanding why it is you do the things that you do is such an important thing to kind of keep you grounded and focused as you go through life in 
any facet, like for everyone out there listening, who's young and figuring out their path or somebody who's a career changer or whatever it may be to, to understand their true purpose and what they're looking for is so important. So let's, let's transition a little bit here. You're almost a year on the job. Uh, and I'm sure it's gone really fast. As you think ahead, what does success look like to you? How do you visualize those moments that you can say, all right, we're making progress here. What, what does that success look like? Yeah, it is robust programming to support our student athletes, whether it's, you know, financial literacy, uh, information about mental health. Uh, we have robust student development programming that happens on a monthly basis. Our student athletes are getting something from us that they can't get in the classroom or, or in competition. It's improving our facilities so they can train and do what they do better than what they do now. So we've been improved our weight room facility. We need to do a lot more with some of our facilities here that will allow them to compete at a higher level and reach their dreams. It's providing them with championship experiences. There's nothing like going to an NCAA tournament. I've, I've had a chance to, I played in two NCAAs and two NITs in my college career, and there's nothing like that big stage. And that's something they'll take with them for the rest of the life. So that's, you know, providing our coaches with the tools they need so they can be successful to provide NCAA experiences. Um, it's, you know, having uh, fan response from the city of New Orleans to support our student athletes so they can play in front of, of people. They can do what they do and people can appreciate them, you know, that in a, with a robust crowd. So those are some low-hanging fruit determinations of what success is. And then it's our staff. It's our staff uh, growing and blooming where they are and whether that's them, you know, progressing and becoming, uh, having command of what they do here at the University of New Orleans or they accept a position uh, with more responsibility at a different institution and become athletic director or commissioner somewhere else. Um, those, are, are, those are how I gauge uh, success. Those are a few examples of how um, I think we can be successful. Well, you clearly have a lot on your plate, so we'll let you get back to work and I'll finish up with <laughs> we'll finish up with this. Uh, we have so, as I mentioned, we have so many people in our audience who are student athletes or college undergrads or people who are changing because they want to get into sports or college athletics. As you look back on your various experience from the professional world or as a player yourself, you've had coaches and mentors and bosses. What's some of the best advice that you've been given that can help kind of guide or give our audience some perspective? Uh, a couple pieces. I'm glad you asked that. Um, a couple pieces. Um, Bob Bodine wrote a book, um, The Power of Who, and people that you currently know are the ones that can help you in your career. So networking is awesome when you go to a conference and get business cards, but those people don't know you and know you as a brand or know your work product. The best people that will help you, you already work for them or used to work for them or they're a professor or they're a neighbor, those are the people that will help you more so than meeting someone at a conference and getting their business card. So I think that's the most important thing. And also just working hard and being a content expert. None of it happens if you're not good at what you do. And everyone that gets an AD job has been good at something. And there, and there are only 300 and I think 63 Division One AD jobs. So there are way more than 363 people who are good at their job. So it's extremely competitive. You can be very good at something and not get that position because it's not a great fit or someone was a little bit better. So people have to be good at what they do. You can't. You have to embrace the journey and the path to be good at what you do before you can expect to, you know, arrive at the chair. You have to be great at what you do and then have the other soft skills from people skills to leadership to teamwork 
to at least have a chance to interview for a position. And if you get that chance, you're really good at what you do, and then it becomes a matter of fit. Tim, this is incredible. This is such great advice, and I know that you're going to guide a lot of student-athletes at University of New Orleans and the staff and the whole operation there. Uh, I can't wait for my next trip to New Orleans because I'm going to have to come by and sneak into a game. But thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing so much of your advice. Brian, thank you, man. I appreciate it. Uh, thank you for being a part of NOLA's team, which we call ourselves. Uh, we're hashtag NOLA's team. I, I'm glad that you got a chance to, you know, talk and, and talk with us today and hear a little bit about what we want to do here. We're excited about uh, our future, and thank you for the opportunity to speak with you. And if there's anything I can do for you moving forward, please let me know. Thank you all for listening. What a great interview with Tim. I really enjoy following him on Twitter and the UNO athletic department. They're trying to do a lot of really creative things. He, as you could tell from that interview, he's into grassroots. He's into getting out there. He's into being in front of people. Now, this interview was conducted prior to coronavirus, so I'm sure he's had to amend his processes a little bit, but I guarantee you he's still making calls into the community, and I guarantee you he's still trying to interact with those people that can influence his athletic department, and I guarantee you he's making a change and a difference in the lives of his student athletes, because you can tell that's the kind of guy he is. Thank you to Tim for being on the show. Thank you to you for listening. Stay tuned through the rest of 2020. We've got a couple more really great bringing it back best of 2020 episodes, and then we're setting up for a really aggressive, awesome guest list for January. So stay tuned. Thank you for being a part of the show. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe, rate, review, be a part of our community. We love having you here. Thank you. (laughs) 